This is the AuthorBiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number four. Welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. Today is Monday, July 21st, and I'm coming to you from Naples, Florida, where we're getting back to our normal summer weather patterns of beautiful sunny days with clouds rolling in during the afternoon and then a brief shower, followed by pleasant evenings. It's still hot down here, and it will be until the latter part of October, but when the weather patterns are like this, it's an amazing place to spend the summer. The focus of today's show is audiobooks. Many of you may not be aware of the fact that audiobooks are one of the fastest-growing sectors in the publishing business. The fuel for this growth, as you'll learn from today's guest, Renee Rodman, is the digital download. In 2007, there were just over 3,000 titles available that could be downloaded digitally. Spinning forward a short six years later, and over 20,000 new audiobooks were produced in 2013 alone. Sales from audiobooks now exceed $2 billion a year, and revenue from audiobooks has been growing at an average rate of 12% annually for the past five years. My guest, Renee Rodman, is one of my very favorite narrators. She's not only incredibly talented, she's won multiple awards for her work, and she's really amazingly prolific. As you'll hear in this interview, she's narrated over 300 titles, and as demand for her services has grown, she's had to learn the art of delegation. In a lesson that's applicable to authors and really to all business people, Renee focuses on doing what she loves and hires help for the rest. Right. Now, keep in mind, while it takes two weeks to do a book, I could be, you know, I I might read at night. You know, I'm scrolling through reading Mm -hmm. from the iPad. So I might be recording one book during the day, scrolling through another one at night while the prepper is prepping the next book. So, you know, that's why for me, if the more I delegate, the more independent contractors I hire, because I can't say I hire some, but the more independent contractors I hire for help, the more production I'm able to, to, to put out. And the more money you make. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, you got to be smart. You got to be smart about this business stuff. In this week's News That Affects Authors section, we're going to veer away from the ever-present Amazon Hachette battle to focus on the big news of the week, which has been Amazon's Kindle Unlimited. The story was leaked on Wednesday when a page announcing the service was accidentally posted to the Amazon website and quickly pulled. But the nature of the Internet is that once something goes up, it's cached and lives forever. So it was quickly spread about. The page went back up again on Friday when the service went live. So how does Kindle Unlimited work? Well, it's $9.99 a month for unlimited reading of 600,000 books currently. Unfortunately, none of the 600,000 are from Big Five publishers. Readers or subscribers to the service can download up to 10 books at any one time, and when they're done, they can remove them from their devices. And unlike competitors Scribd and Oyster, Amazon's unlimited service also includes a limited access to some audiobooks as well as a free three-month trial of Amazon-owned Audible.com for subscribers who eventually purchase Amazon Unlimited. So what does Kindle Unlimited ultimately mean for authors? 
Well, KDP Select authors already have their books enrolled in the program. I'll read to you from an email that was sent to me and to thousands of other KDP Select authors. KDP Select authors and publishers will earn a share of the KDP Select Global Fund each time a customer accesses their book from Kendall Unlimited and reads more than 10% of that book, about the length of reading a free sample available in Kendall Books Now, as opposed to a payout when the book is simply downloaded. Now, that's for KDP Select authors. It's also been reported that Amazon has sweetened the pot a bit for publishers in an effort to try and get them to try and join. In the case of publishers who participate, as well as Amazon imprint authors, they'll receive the full royalty they would have received had the book been sold based on the average selling price of the digital book over the last 30 days. So for indie authors who are part of KDP Select, it looks like it's going to work out in a fashion that's similar to Amazon Prime Lending, where there was a pool of money that all loaned books would earn from. I I suspect it's going to be about the same. There was a great deal of concern when Prime Lending came up as to whether it would be worthwhile for the authors. The average over the last several months for loaned books worked out to be $2 per loan, And most authors felt like that was pretty good. If your book typically sells for $5, getting $2 is certainly not 70%, but your work is exposed to a much larger audience. I do find it interesting that there's a clear difference in how Amazon-published authors and some traditionally-published authors are being treated from the indie authors, where the indie authors will be gaining a, a revenue share of this pool and the published authors and Amazon published authors will be just getting the, their full royalty. This is one of the first instances that I can recall where Amazon is obviously segregating two different groups of authors and the indie, indie authors uh, are not currently getting the same deal that's made available to the Amazon published authors or to traditionally published authors. Of course, they're trying to get traditionally published authors to sign up for this, so who knows how it will work going forward. It's certainly an interesting proposition, and we'll be talking about this, I suspect, a great deal over the course of the coming weeks. Amazon's offering a free 30-day trial. I signed up immediately. Have you signed up? What do you think? Send me an email at authorbiz at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it a little bit more next week. I'll have links to the most recent stories on Kindle Unlimited, as well as everything we discuss in the interview section in the show notes, which can be found at authorbiz.com slash session four. And that's the number four. My guest today, Renee Rodman, is an amazingly talented and prolific audiobook narrator with over 300 books to her credit already. We connected via Skype in mid-July. As you can imagine, I do a great deal of research on each of my guests, and my research for Renee was sort of a first for me, in that two of the first three Google entries for her are an IMBD listing for her work in film and television and a Wikipedia page. I started the interview by asking her how she found her way into the audiobook narration business. Well, first of all, Stephen, thank you so much for uh, being interested in the audiobook world and um, taking the time out and and, uh, your interest in this interview. It's really exciting, and the more I get to know about the publishing world, the more I become interested in authors, and and, uh, so this is just really a treat for me. Um, I was... uh, I started pursuing acting uh, back in the early 90s and 
my, I had a terrific acting coach. His name was Roy London. And he said, just be as diversified as possible in this business. So I not only, you know, pursued film and television, but voiceover as well. And in voiceover, there were cartoons, video games, commercials, including TV and radio, and uh, also industrial type voiceover. But in all that time, it never occurred to me uh, to pursue audiobooks. And they were sort of removed from the Hollywood uh, realm anyway. They were, no one knew where they took place. <laughs> but I loved audiobooks, I, I was obsessed with them. But I would listen to them all the time. In fact, do you remember years ago there was a place called Warehouse Records and they used to rent audiobooks for 99 cents? No, <laughs> so, I oh didn't my, know that. Years ago. This must have been in, I don't know, 90, 91, 89. And I would go to, would go to them and rent, just like you'd rent a movie. And they had audiobooks lined up. I would rent three or four audiobooks and then knock it out of the car for six days because I wanted to get my 99 cents in a week, you know? What a great, what a great idea. I, I don't know why that's not done anymore. So I just loved it, but it never occurred to me to make that part of my diversification until years later when I met Scott Brick. And he, uh, he, he was dating my sister. And when I found out he narrated audiobooks, I literally sat down on the living room floor upon having met him for two minutes. And I said, tell me everything. And uh, we agreed to trade information because he's got such an amazing voice. I said, you should be doing car commercials too. And I'll give you my information if you share yours. And we traded information. And it was at a time where I was looking for some changes uh, in terms of living in Hollywood anyway. But while I was in more of the entertainment industry uh, in Hollywood. I was very fortunate. I did primetime television, guest star roles, some film, uh, a lot of voiceover. I've done political campaigns. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have my fingers in a lot of little areas and oh, daytime television, a fair amount of daytime television as well. And then a lot of video games, which... Um, I think that's fascinating. The whole idea of, of just recording for video games, it never even occurs to me that that happens, but obviously it does. Yeah, and and it's a completely different world than the rest of the voiceover world, as are cartoons, for example. Uh, they're just completely different animals. And I remember one of my very first video game auditions, the um, company was a Japanese company, and I had a little bit of t difficulty understanding the gal who was handing me the audition material, and it was for a Russian woman. And I went, "Oh no, no, I don't, I, I don't think this is for me," because I didn't have a Russian accent. <laughs> and she said, "Oh no, one line, only one line." And I said, "Oh, one line, okay." And then she handed me two other characters to audition for. So. I started to sweat and I got really nervous and I went around the back of the building and I thought, okay, one line, you can get through one line in a Russian, you know, Russian accent. And the name of the character was Nastasha Romanenko. And I thought, oh, it's got a Russian sound. So just try to pronounce it like I'm in a, you know, I'm trying to do an American accent, but I'm Russian. So the key to my whole Russian accent for this gal was her name, Nastasha Romanenko. And I had one line, essentially. So I went in and I auditioned for the one line, and then I auditioned for the rest of the characters. And I thought for sure I was going to get the teenage American girl. And I got a call three weeks later, which is a long time between the original audition and when you book a job. Normally it's within a week, a few days. And uh, they said, you booked... You booked um, 
what's called Metal Gear Solid. And uh, at the time, I didn't know it was a big deal video game, but I said, oh, good, good. I was so excited. And they said, yeah, you, you got the part of uh, Nastasha Romanenko. And I said, uh, the Russian lady? <laughs> I said, well, it's just a couple lines, right? And again, I'm talking to somebody who was Japanese, and she said, no, no, um, eight hours. And oh. I was like, what? <laughs> she goes, no, there's about eight hours of recording. And of course, you know, you are always taught never to say you can't do something. <laughs> she said, we're sending over the script today. You'll record next week. And uh, I got a script that, twice the size of any movie script. And um, I would lay in bed at night and read that thing like I was trying to speak English from a Russian's perspective. And anyway, the rest, it, it ended up being one of the biggest selling games of all time. And, you know, it's sink or swim, I guess, is the moral of the story there. And what, but, what do your friends say when you say, I just booked this gig? Uh, do, doing voiceover for an audio or for a for a video game? Well, they're trying to calm me down because I'm in a complete panic because <laughs> I think, what have we done? I've ruined my career. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm letting everybody down. They're like, no, no, Renee, it'll be okay. I, I, I think they're trying to take care of uh, my um, my spinning head first. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, a lot of my friends don't play video games, but my um, – future son-in-law i'm engaged to be married uh his name is fred and he when i first started dating his dad it was like oh okay but then when he found out that i was nastasha romanenko of metal solid (laughs) he was like dad this is it (laughs) (laughs) all was well in the world so i think it's astonishing that you met scott brick because he's a he's Pretty big. T- he still is a big time yeah. narrator, and and you just sort of stumbled across him based on a family relationship. Yes, uh, and it was a, a little weird because he was he had de- dating my sister, and I had met his best friend unknowingly, and uh, so the four of us were. Uh, this was years ago, you know, back in uh, boy, I think two thousand three or something like that. My sister's married now and has a baby, but uh, we his best friend and my sister and I who were living together and best friends. So the four of us were dating for a while. It was a, it was a great foursome, but I would pick Scott's brain, poor guy. And, uh, I would ask him a million questions and he was so patient with me and he answered every one of them. And then I said to him, will you, you know, if I do all the work and I get a recording studio, would you consider directing me in my, uh, audio book, um, samples? And he said he would, and he did. And so I put together three samples and I sent them out to seven companies per, you know, per his recommendation. And I got four responses, which is unheard of. You know, that's an over 50% return rate in a place that, you know, you're usually rejected 98% of the time. Uh So, uh, you know, I'm calling him like, I can't believe it. You know, it's working. And he was such a supporter. And now we've, we've since become very good friends over the years. And he was really, really generous with his contacts and his time. And so I really feel like I owe my whole world in audiobooks to um, his graciousness. You know, it's just really lovely. It's, it, as some listeners may not know, I am a, a big fan of audiobooks in general. I've been listening for probably 20 years or so. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, I would go to the library because at that time you couldn't buy them. They were... You know, you'd buy the the books on tape, and they were a hundred dollars or something right. like that. So I, which go is to the why lot. I can't believe you didn't know about warehouse. Yes, well, 
<laughs> I'd go to the library and get them for free. I'd save the 99 cents and get to keep them for three weeks, I think. Right. And I'll never forget the first book I listened to was a Nero Wolf book. I was on a long drive with my wife, and as soon as the audiobook started, she fell asleep, and I could drive around the world listening right. to audiobooks and be perfectly content. So that's the way we travel now. Whenever we drive, I pop in an audiobook, and she, she sleeps the whole way. She, she does? She still hasn't caught on. <laughs> no, she has not caught on. But audiobooks have come a long way from there. And, uh, you know, they've gone from the tapes that really no person could afford to buy to CDs and now digital downloads. And the business of audiobooks is is really sort of exploding now. It, it seems to be one of the fastest growing parts of the publishing business. Where do you see the growth coming from? Or, or what are the drivers for this growth, in, in your opinion? Well, I do think that having audiobooks available uh, as easy as a, you know, a new song is the digital download is one of the main reasons. And it just, it makes it so easy. And it is so much less expensive. Like you said, it was um, crazy money to, to buy an audiobook. Or, you know, you, if you didn't go to the library, you probably couldn't afford it. And I know that even like the Cracker Barrels, yes. uh, you could go, you'd rent an audiobook, you'd, you'd rent one and you'd travel. And when you got done with that one, this is, they did a lot of abridgments then. So you'd only have to listen for five hours versus a normal 10 to 12, 15 hour book. But you would start from point A and you'd grab an audiobook and you'd stop at the next Cracker Barrel. It was brilliant because, you know, they got you eating breakfast or lunch there and you drop an audiobook off there and then they, you get another one. I think you paid one price from beginning to end. And, and, um, you know, so it was a limited audience that had access to them, but definitely in the past few years, audiobooks have exploded. And I think it's because of the digital downloads. If, if I'm not mistaken from 2011 to th 2012, 6 million more audiobooks were sold wow. in, in, from 2011 to 2012 than the year before. And um, the number of titles published doubled. So not only is there more access, now there's more variety and it's, you know, there's a book out there, an audio book out there for everybody now. So I think that makes a big deal. So if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, I think there were over 13,000 titles recorded in audio book, recorded and released in 2012. And that was double from 7,000 from the year before. So it, the whole market is becoming, it's just exploding. This is my personal opinion. I don't, there's no research on this. But in, in our world in which, you know, the internet, we're on, our, we're on the internet all the time. We've got more home offices. We're more secluded from the outside world. I think it's probably one of the most intimate forms of entertainment other than the other obvious one, which, which we won't mention here. Uh, um, but to have someone, like you said, in your car with your family or in your ear when you're at the gym or taking a walk or when you're in the car by yourself, you sort of develop this relationship with this voice, uh, with this story. And when it's done, you at least for me, I would feel like I was missing something. And I think it even harkens back to when our parents read to us as there's something warm and endearing and um, comforting about having something read to us. Plus, we're getting information, whether it's, you know, a nonfiction or it's fiction. You know, it, so it's serving a lot of purposes, I, in my opinion. Um, and I, you know, the movie Her was very popular and won an Academy Award this year uh, because he, 
started to have this relationship with this voice that was in his head. And I think audiobooks are a little bit like that. I think, I think they're very much like that. And uh, I, I will say that while my parents did read to me, they didn't sound anything like you when you read to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's pretty funny. <laughs> for, for people who don't know, um, you read a, a series of books that is a particular favorite of mine, The Lucky O'Toole Books by uh, Deborah Kuntz. And yes. I actually, I read the first the first book, listened to the second, liked the second one so much, I, I liked your version of the second one so much, oh. I went back and got the first one so I could listen to that. And of course, I've listened to all of them since. I think there are a total of four. Right. But uh, that's how I became introduced to you. And then at one point on Facebook, I saw Deborah Kuntz made a post about you or, or that mentioned you. And I said something to the effect that I would pay money to listen to you read a phone book. I remember that. And, and I've shared that with several people. You made my day. <laughs> it is. It's just something uh, that a skilled narrator has. They, they can take material and the material – they take good material and make it great, take great material and, and make it even greater. How do you do that? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, well, I have to say in, in Deborah's case, you know, she's an amazing author and – there's something about the way she writes her characters that my whole body gets excited when I read it. And when, um, for those of you who don't know, Lucky O'Toole, she writes the Lucky series from a first-person perspective, from Lucky O'Toole's perspective. And I don't know if it's her uh, smart aleck uh, <laughs> ways, uh, her wit. She's She's got genius wit in those books and funny. In fact, we'd have to stop because I would be laughing so hard at, you know, some of the, my engineer, I could hear my engineer, which is very rare on the outside of the booth, laughing hard at, you know, Deborah's lines. And so uh, it, at least in, in her case, it was second nature to me. I don't know if it was because she wrote how I would speak him speak, you know, the, the Lucky's words, but uh, some authors make it very easy to make their books come alive. And she's certainly one of them. I don't know if for a listener of audiobooks, if it's the extreme personal um, experience as it is when I read a book out loud, it, and it, something happens where, and I don't mean it's magical or anything, uh, I, 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 it's not spiritual, nothing like that, but there's something when you sit down and you read out loud somebody else's words, at least for me, it becomes a part of me and there's something about wanting to um, put out in the world exactly what the author intended or what you think the author intended. And so, like you said, it would be my version of it. It's, it's, there's something really special about making these words on a page come alive and ha having people have clarity, having the listener have clarity on what that author intended. And I am a clarity freak. I, uh, you know, I have to understand everything to the nth degree. And so maybe, and it's important for me for other people to have clarity, whether they want to or not, sometimes to their, you know, to my fiance's chagrin. <laughs> He's like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> but but I think maybe that quality in me um, translates well to audiobooks because, you know, I want I want the listener to have clarity on what the author meant. So maybe that's part of it. It's a tough, that's a tough question to answer. Now, do you, as a, a narrator, do do you get 
different rights from and, and when I say rights, uh, I'll explain. But okay. do you get different rights from different authors? For example, if uh, dialogue tags in, in some books, I'll hear narrators and every single dialogue tag is there. And in others, they're not. Is that something that's. Uh, what do you mean by dialogue tag? He, sh- he said, she said, oh. that kind of thing. And well, in, in some books, they're there. Some books, they're not. Um, there, I can tell in my experience, when I've narrated by myself, um, we've always left the he said, she said in there. Uh, because depending on how well versed you are at doing, if you have a scene with four, four eight women, you know, sometimes it's important that it's, you know, Margaret said, Tanya said, mm-hmm. Olivia said, because, you know, if they don't all have different accents, you might not be sure who's talking and or and with a lot of men or several people in a scene. But when um, I narrate in duo narrations, for example, I've got a Catherine Coulter book we're starting, a Catherine Coulter and J.T. Ellison uh, combination book that we're starting Monday, and I'm recording with McLeod Andrews. And they have allowed us to take out, and we record in the same recording studio together. And he narrates everything from a male POV, even if it's not first person. He he narrates all the um, narrative that comes from a male POV. I do it from the female perspective. And then when we have dialogue, we have been um, approved to take out all those he said, she said, and even some he whispered, she whispered, he yelled, if if we yell it, and, you know, hopefully we don't have to say he yelled. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it more of a movie for the mind because, you know, we aren't stopping to give that little segue in between. So it just really rolls off. And so he can say, shut the door. No, I don't want to shut the door. Shut the door. And it just comes out without that interruption that he said, she said. And there are some books I would love personally to be able to take those out, I just think that the story would flow. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, maybe that generation is coming more and more as audiobooks become more and more popular. It'd be kind of cool. I, I like that phrase, movie for the mind, because that's really what a, a well done audiobook is. Uh, you're, it, especially when you're driving. I mean, it, it's somehow or other, it's just there on the screen while you're seeing the, the road in front of you. You can see right. what's happening. And it, it, it really is. You didn't want to use the term magical before, but I, I, I'll use it because I'm not a narrator. It is right. magical when it happens, and it's 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 really it's really good. It's right. it's magical, and it is a, a movie for the mind. Yeah, you've been doing this for a while now. How has the business changed over the course of the last decade or so? Um, I got I got into the business about eight years ago, and I've done about I've done over three hundred titles in that time. And I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm exhausted. No, uh, it, I, I feel so fortunate. Uh, and I I came into the business just as a huge change was about to occur. So when I began narrating. Um, and when I'd met Scott Brick and I thought I needed a break from LA, I, it just got to be where I was tired of the drive, all the driving to all the auditions. And I decided to move to Ojai, California. It's, it's about 80 miles outside of the Los Angeles area and it's in a little Valley. And it just reminded me of my small town roots. And I think I just needed a a break. And I decided to put in a, a recording studio into my home so that I could email my auditions in. 
And it also happened, uh, happened to coincide with me reaching out to the audio publishers and everything happened from there. But when I started, I think I was one of the, uh, I don't know, maybe a half dozen female narrators, maybe in the U.S. or world that had their own home studio. Um, I know that there's a company called Tantor, uh, Tantor Audiobooks. I think I was one of six narrators on their whole, one of their first six or eight narrators on their whole team of narrators that um, had a home studio. And I, I think I was only one or two of, uh, they only had one or two females of which I was. But what that provided is the, as the business started to change, and that's just when audio downloads were starting to become available, they needed to have a lot more product to put out there. They would just give me everything. You know, they'd give me fiction and nonfiction and memoirs and, you know, educational books and you name it. And I would, and I didn't know that at that time, most narrators only worked with one publisher for the most part. Uh, back in, like in the old Hollywood days, you know, how someone used to be um, contracted with uh, MGM or, you know, Paramount. And that was all, they only made movies for that company. It was sort of like that in the beginning with, audiobooks narrators just worked with the publisher that they were closest with and that was it i didn't know better so i was reaching out to everybody and everybody was saying okay we need product and you've got good sound and you're able to self-direct so you know here you go and i was just flooded with opportunity and again sink or swim but as uh as the business as the need for more product grew uh, I'm going to back up for a second. I, I think this is correct. I think this is what I learned. When audiobooks, as you said, when they were first in the stores and they had unabridged, you know, 15-hour audiobooks, they were very expensive if you went to a bookstore. They were anywhere from 50 to to $100. When they went to digital download, people expected to pay a lot less because there's no packaging, there's no CDs or tapes, that sort of thing. But the reality is the cost of making an audiobook was not decreased because now they're anywhere, you know, let's say $9.99. Well, uh, I think the packaging and the production was only like 30% of the cost. So people expected to pay a lot less for digital, except for it was difficult to do that because you weren't really taking that much out of the pie when it came to the production. So they had to start squeezing, figuring out ways to be more um, cost effective in the production, and that's where home studios came in because you you didn't have to pay for a studio, you didn't have to pay for an engineer, you didn't have to pay for a director, uh, and if, so if you had all those skills, you'd get the work, which is where I was really fortunate. Okay. And now there, there's there's narrators, you know. Now, if you don't have a home studio, you're likely not to get work in the audiobook world. Describe a home studio, because in, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking something, and I'm sure listeners are thinking something else, and the reality is probably something completely different. Every narrator is different, but most home studios are in a closet or a very small room in which it can be padded, <laughs> because we work alone eight hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, they, they, so it's got not only good where you need to keep sound out, so uh, soundproofing, but you also, so you want it in the middle of a house usually, but you also need good sound on the mic because, as I said, this is a very intimate form of entertainment, and so it needs to sound like it's intimate right there. Not You don't want 
echoing. Um, you don't want a lot of background noise because unlike a song, when they record, when they go to a recording studio and record a song, you know, you've got, you can have a lot of leeway because that music is loud. <laughs> but when you've just got the voice and it's very quiet and they're not yelling and it needs to have a, a, a pin drop sound that sounds intimate and padded. So most narrators will record in their closet because clothes provide that. And it's closets are usually in the middle of the house. Um, I have to say now for me, I've gone the other way. So after having four or five home studios and pretty fantastic home studios, and I would know what to look for in a house before I leased it because I, I'd go to the realtor. I need a house on a, hill at the end of a cul-de-sac it has to have solid doors it needs to have a walk-in closet upstairs and they're like what you know they go you'll never find it and i thought well i i got three of them so far so you know we'll 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 get there but now i've decided to um because i have i have more help now i have engineers and people who help prep the books and assistant and i didn't want all those people in my home so now i've gone the other direction and I have my own commercial space. I've built my own professional recording studio. And, uh, I, you know, that gets me out of the house as well as a place to put all the people I work with. So I'm back to a professional. But most people still work out of their home and just keep the kids quiet. How has the technology changed over the course of the last eight years that you've been doing this? Technology-wise... I mean, there's the obvious digital download technology side of things, and then there's the production side. Uh, in terms of the actual recording, I don't think the technology has changed that much. Um, I think most people still use Pro Tools. Uh, if you still want a good sound, you, um, you use a voice processor. You don't, um, you don't plug a USB mic into a computer. You know, you still use really good recording um, uh equipment. And so in that regard, I don't see it's changed any at all since I've started. Where the big technology has come in to play is in how I get my information to the publishers. It used to be you send it, now it's Hightail or FTP. I mean, we can send gigantic voice files because we record in a raw, what's called a wave file. And those are huge in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, megabyte size. If you've got a good internet connection, I can send huge 15-hour books in a, a few hours um, that it would normally have taken two or three DVDs to. Oh, you're right. I, <laughs> I wouldn't even have thought of that. When I, when I record these podcasts, they're typically an hour, and uh, the raw wave file at the end is about a gig. I can't imagine what it would be like to, to, to be dealing with a 15-hour uh, version of something that's probably recorded at a higher bit level than, than this is. Right. And so we used to have to take that then, burn them to DVD, and then FedEx them to the client. And then the FedEx, the client would try and send back MP3 pickup. So it was a much smaller file versus the wave. And then you'd send back several emails. Then you send it came along, which was fantastic. But there were a lot of limitations there. And in terms of you, you could have the whole book almost all sent, you know, all 15 chapters or what have you. And then if there was one little glitch at the end, it would stop the whole thing and you'd have to oh. start over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were trying to do it overnight when you were least likely to be on the Internet. But now with FTP and, and the new way that Hightail and Dropboxes, 
I can work with people all over the U.S. and never meet them. Uh, I've got an engineer that works for me, my production side, um, which we can talk about in a minute. But I've got people working that have worked with me for five years I've never met. And that's a little unusual as well. You know, it's almost 90% email and... In some ways, that's kind of neat. In some ways, I think it's a little bit sad, but uh, that's just the the nature of the beast now. It's the nature of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about the audiobook production process, sort of from the beginning all the way to the end. A a lot of the listeners to this show are authors who want to have audiobooks made of of their novels, or maybe they have them made already, but they don't understand what the process is. So... And let me just ask you a series of questions, and, and you can answer them, and we'll go on from there. But how are how are you? Let's say today, how are you contacted? Are you contacted from an author directly? Are you contacted from the publisher, or is there an arm of the publishing company that does audiobooks that contacts you? What's what's the first contact? Uh, I would say that for me and for most um, established narrators, the contact comes directly from the audio publisher. Uh, there are some situations in which I've been contacted by an author directly, and those are, just in terms of where my career is now, those are a little more few and far between in terms of maybe an unknown author reaching out. And want, that's a little less right now because it's harder to figure out how to get hold of those narrators and such. But for the most part, I am contacted by the pub, the audio publisher and they so that sorry you said answer the question you'd answer no that's all right go 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 ahead and and, and go on well the next question would be then um are are these people it it sounds like these would be people that are already familiar with with your work and so there is there an audition process that goes on you mentioned earlier in your career there were auditions Uh, do you still do that well um I will still audition for certain projects if there's a project I really want to do. So, for example, uh, for the most part, people know my work. Again, since I had the good fortune of working in so many genres, you know, for the most part, I don't have to audition because people can listen to memoir, biography. And by the way, that's another way the business has changed where it used to be everybody did everything because there was so much content to get out. But now that there's more narrators, now it's becoming more specified, um, you know, oh, this gal's a romance gal, this person's a mystery person, this person is a, you know, that sort of thing. But most people know my work now, so they call and they say, hey, we've got a book. Um, It's, we estimate it to be about this long, this is the author, this is the rough storyline, are you, here's the date we would need it recorded by, are you interested? Now, you don't get to read the book ahead of time, but you do, you know, they'll give you the little summary and you can look it up on Amazon or they'll, wherever it might be displayed. And you decide from there. So it could be a 20-hour book, you, and all you get is a, a paragraph, uh, you know, a, a summary in which you decide whether or not you want the book. Um, that's the way it happens most of the time. But you get a sense of what the book is, is going to be about. So, for example, you would know if it was a book of uh, a horror story, for example, or a, a book of erotica or something that uh, some narrators might be uncomfortable narrating. Right. Well, funny you should mention that. But yes, you do get a pretty good sense of that. Years ago, I had been approached. Um, I was uh, going to uh, one of the publisher's uh, loca- locales to narrate an, a young adult book. 
And they said, hey, while you're here, we've got another novella. Would you be interested in doing it? And the the uh, author's name was a fairly big author's name. And I went, oh, sure. Uh, and And I knew it had a little bit of a paranormal element to it. But about the day before I was supposed to fly out, they called and said, you, we want you to know that <laughs> this is on the more erotic side. There's only about 10 pages out of 200, but we just want you to know about it. Are you comfortable with that? And I said, well, just read me a few pages. And they go, oh, no, 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 we're not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then why don't you, you know, email it to me or fax it to me. So they did, and I read the 10 pages, and it was a little, but I went, ah, it's, it's fine. And then they sent me this. So I said, it's fine. It's fine. I'll do it. They sent me the script. And it wasn't those 10 pages. It was the 10 pages after. (laughs) And I was literally on the way to the airport. And at this point, I had done several of these young adult books. And I just said, oh, I'm going to do this book, but you can't put my name on it. And they're like, what? Now, here's what's interesting, given that you've got authors. The minute I agree to do a book, the the second, I don't know how this happens, (laughs) But they attach your name to that book, and it goes up onto Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and it goes on immediately. Who the narrator is going really? to be? Really? Yes, because it was only a twenty-four to forty-eight hour difference when I said you can't put my name on this book, and I was on my way to the airport, and they said we need a name now, then because it's already started to go up. We'll change it, and they did. And I, I thought of something really stupid, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but. Uh, <laughs> It was not, I should have been more creative. (laughs) So, but years later, I, uh, you know, I would kind of look around to see, and sure enough, my name was still attached to the book on a Barnes and Noble site. At any rate, I recorded the book. So see, you don't know really what's in the book (laughs) until you, um, and I didn't realize that this was this particular, that this author wrote these kinds of books and, and, um, which was fine. They were, it was very well written. It was good book, but. I wasn't prepared to have my name uh, attached to it at that point and didn't want my parents accidentally picking that up as one to give to their family and friends to take a listen to, that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it, it seems like the sort of thing that maybe after the fourth or fifth time you've done it, you might be able to do it without uh, internally cringing. But right. I know sometimes I'm listening to books and I, I'm just cringing and I, I feel bad for the narrator. <laughs> Well, you've never, it's so funny because, and I like to embrace, look, I'm all about embracing the love scenes. I mean, who doesn't want to, it's great. It's like a little afternoon delight when you're in the studio all by yourself for (laughs) hours and hours on end. Uh, So I really, I embrace the good love scenes and um, do my best to uh, have them fly off the page. But it is interesting when I first got into audiobooks, I never thought about, you know, when you're just reading a book. And you're looking through it and you, you have the really good love scene and maybe you're blushing a little on the beach, but nobody knows what you're reading. It never occurred to me what that would be like when you actually have to perform it, mm-hmm. which is much different than when you're performing a love scene on camera. Um, it's very different. And uh, so it's also usually much more graphic because, you know, they use words to describe things. And Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you're you're selected to read the book. You're selected to narrate the book. You've mentioned the term script several times. Is that what what happens next? You get the script, right? And uh, what is what is a script? What's the difference between a script and the book? Well, it is the book. It's just in a manuscript form, and uh, it's so you get the approved recordable script. That's what they call it. 
and uh, used to be up until just recently for me anyway, they would send me FedEx me out the script. You'd get a great big thick script that was all single pages and one-sided so you could move the pages over while you read. But now I'm getting them on my iPad and I have people prep the, help prep the script. So we, we do everything on iPad now. Pretty amazing. Uh, so we get, I get this, the script and two things. I, I read 90% of the script on my iPad. You know, I scroll through just like you would read an ebook. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't like to read the very last couple of chapters personally. And I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, so I, I, I read it at this simultaneously though, I give the script, uh, another copy of the script the, the one that I will actually record from, to um, a script prepper. I have a few people that I use. And they take the script and they go through and they mark where a POV change is. They mark who's speaking. They code it. So, oh, for example, okay. Charlie is speaking and Emily. So it'll say C-E, you know, C is Charlie and E, uh, all the way down the pages. So I like, so I don't have to guess as to who's coming up and and I have them highlight emotions if they appear after the line. So, for example, if the line is, uh, don't go in there, he crawled over as he whispered. You know, So if it says whispered way down at the other line, my eye will, if he'll highlight it, I can see the word whispered and I'll know to whisper that line. And then I also have uh, the prepper create character sheets. This is important, too, because you never know when a book is going to become a series. But we write every character down the first page that they appear on. We mark if they reappear in the book, we mark their age, any description about them, how they talk, how they walk, what kind of clothes they wear, what they do, what kind of, you know, the favorite cocktail, if they have an accent, where they're from. And we, I just have them fill in as much information about this as possible. And then I also have them look up all the pronunciations that might be odd and as well as, do a summary by chapter. Again, this is really important when we have to go back if we have a series. But so it's not as though, even though I'm not reading those last two chapters, I know exactly how the book ends. But there's just something organic for me about getting those chills the first time I'm going through it, or the sadness, or the proposal, or you know, the recognition that you've been betrayed about just bringing those words off the page that first time right there. I don't know. I, I, that's me. I, I know most narrators probably don't do that. So uh, and then we go into the studio and record. With a, with a series, this is just something that's always puzzled me. How do you keep the voices straight from book to book to book to book? Because as a listener, I have no idea how I remember exactly what those voices sound like, but I do. And when and we can't believe you do, I, and we know that you do. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe, and I don't even notice it until someone makes a mistake, and right. then it's just like someone's driven a nail into your thumb. It's like you got the voice wrong. <laughs> right, right. And so how we, do you how do you keep them all straight? Um, I have my engineer. We uh, when we record, we mark. When someone is talking, when a new character comes in or when, so each book, uh, even if it's the character that's been in it for five books, we still mark it in the, in the most recent book always. And then I have him pull samples and we have a little library. So for this particular series I do by Ilona Andrews, the magic series, you know, she, they have so many characters. I mean, I think I finished 
their most recent one, Magic Breaks, a few weeks ago. I bet there were 130 characters. Oh, I don't know if there was 130. Uh, there had to be 100 characters. Mm-hmm. And most of them are in some of the seven prior books. So we have a library. Wow. An iTunes library, if you will, and he'll pull up. I only need a sample, just as a little reminder. But we'll hear it, and then we'll go right back to recording. Sometimes we have to stop, and I'll go. Or if, if, if I'm three-quarters of the way through the book, and we did somebody at the beginning, and I can't recall, I'm like, I don't remember what Joseph sounded like. He'll have to go back to session one, and just we'll have it marked, and he'll be able to play it. Oh, okay, good. He had this other accent, and we can go from there. So it's a labor. It's quite labor intensive, to be honest with you. And I don't know how other narrators do it when they don't delegate. Maybe that's why I've been able to do three hundred books in this amount of time. But you know, if I had to do all that work and then also go into the studio and record, I'd. That's like going through the book three or four times. I don't know. It just. I don't know how other people do it when they don't have help. <laughs> okay, so we we have the script. And you're getting ready to go into the studio. You've, you've had people go through the script, mark everything up, check the pronunciations of everything. Is there ever a reason why you would need to contact the author to discuss something specific, like a, a really unique pronunciation, or what's you're unsure about what the feel of a scene is? It's funny. At the beginning, that was really based on the publisher. Some publishers encouraged uh, you to reach out to the author and others would um, actually not want you to contact the author that they wanted to do it. If you had any questions, you had to go through them. And they, and I understand that they were, they were just protecting their authors by all means. If I, and, and fairly straightforward books, um, I don't find much need to contact the author. If it's just a straight, like a memoir read or other than maybe some pronunciations of personal names and that sort of thing. On more sci-fi books where there's made-up languages or made-up names, um, I will send a complete list, for example, going back to the Ilona Andrews books, where they have, you know, they've created full worlds, and there's a lot of, some of it's made up, or they do, actually, they do so much research before they write that most of their terminology comes from, you know, ancient mythology or different different things. So I will put together an entire list that I could not find or my, my um, researchers could not find. And we research pretty good and we try to get it so that we can actually hear it as opposed to just a, a phonetic written out uh, pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And I will send it to them. And then I will say, if you could just please call my voicemail, say each word twice slowly. If you don't know it, that's okay. We'll give it our best guess unless you want to give it. But then I, I can refer back to that recording throughout my recording, and I put it in chapter order. And so for the most part, that is the only time we communicate with authors is for pronunciations. Sometimes, and again, as audiobooks are changing, I could see, for example, going back to the Alona Andrews, they're starting a new series. And I've gotten to know them so well that I could see myself saying, how do you see, if upon reading it, if I had additional questions about characters, like, how do you hear this guy? Is he um, stuffy but a nerd? Is he, you know, getting their input on it? Because we have such a, a long-term relationship together, uh, uh, it makes it a little easier to work with, you know, to work that way. Some authors you work with, they want to read it. They would like to be narrating the book. And it can become um, 
meaning they would prefer to be doing it rather than you, Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough because I so want to please the author. But they'll go to as far as saying, do you want to read part of it to me over the phone? And I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't. I I can't. It'd be like going to a comedian and go, come on, tell me a joke. Um, And that becomes a, a, a little bit of a challenge. But I also understand it from their perspective. I mean, this is a baby they birthed and they want it. They so want their intent to come out in it. But what's kind of cool is when those authors who trust their publishers to hire somebody who they think can do the work, they often, just like in the movies, there's certain elements that will come out that, and I've I've had authors write to me afterward and say, I never heard this like this when I was writing, but you took it in a different direction and it sailed for me. Hmm. It, It was better than I could have imagined. Or it was different, but it made it work. And I think people have to trust the process a little bit. And, you know, if you've got talented people on both sides, I think you're you're probably going to get a pretty pretty great product. How much how much work has has going in into and in, in terms of time, days, uh, hours, in terms of prepping this prepping the script, doing all the things that you were talking about, highlighting certain things, uh, any communication over word pronunciation, things like that. So if you get the script on day one, at, at what time are you ready to begin uh, actually recording? Uh, it usually takes um, the prepper about, depending on the difficulty of the book, three quarters, a half to three quarters of the what the book ends up being, the length of the book. So if the book is a 15-hour book, 10 or 12 hours, no, but I guess 10 or 12 hours, 10 to 15 hours to prep the book on their end. That doesn't include the time it takes for me to pre-read it. And then it takes us probably time and a half of, of the book to record it. So if the book is a 15-hour book and it takes them, let's say, 12 to 13 hours to prep on their end, and then it takes us on the long side 30 hours to record. Now, that's actually, that's not including the breaks. That's actually recording time. You know, so we're talking about 40, you know, 40 hours of work to produce a, um, a 15-hour a 15-hour uh, audiobook. That doesn't include pickups or what the pro- publishers do in terms of their production and giving it a quality control pass, editing out any problems or fixes, and then sending me back pickups. What happens is, is they send me the book. Uh, I do all the work. My engineer and I record it. And if I make a mistake, I stop. He's got a, he's so quick. (laughs) Um, we, he, he does this little thing in pro tools. He pushes the down arrow, which means when I'm at at the end of every sentence, he presses the down arrow, which means that if I make a mistake in the next sentence, he just has to push record again. And it goes back to the last sentence that we finished. So I just hear the roll out, um, the pre-roll of the last sentence and just pick it up and keep going again. So we, we won't even speak, you know, it's just, uh, Jane went to go to the floor. I hear the rollout. Jane went to go to the store and then she went, you know, it's just, it's pretty seamless in terms of how quickly we move once we're in the studio. And after, uh, most of my clients now, because I have such a high quality studio and we, I narrate in such a way that there's, we narrate and we produce our, our recordings in such a way that there's 
really no editing needed. We, we take out, we don't have any half breaths so that it goes, and then you hear the next sentence come in. We just virtually don't have any of those end of sentence mistakes that somebody has to correct. For the most part, we just need a quality control check. And somebody will go through, somebody else will go through and listen to the audio while they follow along in the script and mark any places that both my engineer and I may have missed when I was narrating it or said the wrong word. And then they'll send me pickups. We call them pups, pickups. And now, uh, let me, let me stop you. Sure. you. You've used the term pickup several times. I'm not familiar with it. So if once I've turned in my 15-hour book to the publisher, they go through and do what we call a QC check, a quality control check, and they have someone who listens to the script while they follow along watching the script. And any mistakes that I've made in a 15-hour book you make you can make some mistakes, <laughs> but if if I you know used a wrong word or I said had instead of and or or something like that, they make a list of them. They make a list of the mistakes that need to be corrected, and they send them to me, and I replace those sentences and I send them back to them, and then they pop them into the audio. Okay. And so it's 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 close to the author's words as we can get. So on my side, I have. Both I'm watching the script and my engineer is watching the script. We're both eyeballing it, and he'll stop me. He goes, "Oh, you you said you know you said the wrong word, or you left out a word, or that sort of thing." Is the engineer in the booth with you, or is he outside the booth? He's outside the booth. Now I'm a little bit again. Most narrators, I don't know how they do this. I used to do it. Most narrators engineer their own books, so they're sitting at their recording area, computer is there, mic is there, script is there, or their iPad is there, and they're in the booth all by themselves, and when they make a mistake, they go back and place the cursor in the right spot on the sentence, um, or you know, they use the technique that we use, but they self-edit. I did that for a long time. I know every, you know, I, I really got good at it, but I wasn't having any fun dealing with the engineering element as well as narrating, and I said, I I don't want to, it takes longer and I want to have more fun. So I hired an engineer. And when I hired an engineer, I could get books done quicker, which allowed me to do more books. So I think it came out ahead of that. So it, it sounds like uh, it's maybe a week and a half to, to do a book all the way. I would say uh, two weeks. I'd say two weeks because no one can work that straight through. Mm -hmm. So I give the prepper a week to prep a 10 to 15 hour book. And then it takes us a, about a week. If it was a 15-hour book, it would take us a week to record. I get about three finished hours per day done. Okay. And you have, over the course of the last eight years, averaged about 35 books a year. Yes. And that has got to change if I'm going to add some balance to my life. <laughs> <laughs> just, just doing the math, if it takes two weeks to do a book, it's, uh, you're busy all the time. Right. Now, keep in mind... While it takes two weeks to do a book, I could be, you know, I, I might read at night, you know, I'm scrolling through reading mm -hmm. from the iPad. So I might be recording one book during the day, scrolling through another one at night while the prepper is prepping the next book. So, you know, that's why for me, if the more I delegate, the more independent contractors I hire, because I can't say I hire some, but the more independent contractors I hire for help, the more production I'm able to, to, to put out. And the more money you make. Yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> that's the you gotta be smart you gotta be smart about this business stuff <laughs> well you know it, it's it's funny and this is something a lot of authors are are dealing with uh, the whole idea of spending money to become more productive and it's 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 not something that's obvious to a lot of people but like you said you were doing all of this on your own and you got to the point where you realized it would be more pleasant for you and you'd be more productive if you brought in some additional talent to help with the things that could right. could make you a better narrator i i, I was uh, just to back up for a second i was a uh, always a business person at heart so me going into the world of entertainment was quite the oddity i think in some ways because I was an executive in advertising for years back in Detroit before I ever moved to Hollywood. And so that was a real plus for me to have a business background. Because when I thought about it, I sat down and I, I thought, okay, if I paid an engineer this amount of money and I can get the book done in this amount of time in four days instead of five days, well, once I started adding up the numbers, I couldn't not delegate. And then I, I saw a quote by Richard Branson a while ago that one of the reasons for his success is for him to realize that the more he hires, you know, the more he delegates, the better he gets to do the one job that he's supposed to do. You know, so that made a lot of sense to me. And at first I thought I needed to do it all. There was some sort of um, badge or a mm-hmm. goofy pride in, in, oh, I'm engineering it all. I'm working. I, I create the great sound meaning the sound, the booth, uh, I have the best technology there. I'm reading the whole script. I'm marking the whole script. I'm looking up all the pronunciations. And I went, wait a minute, this isn't good. This isn't making good business sense. And, oh, yeah, I'm so exhausted by the time it comes to record. I'm not having any fun. So let's change that whole business model up. And so for me, um, I did. Speaking of business, in doing some research on you, I saw a couple things that were really interesting. One was that, and, and this is not business related, it was just kind of cool. I, I saw that you lost out on some sort of an award <laughs> to Johnny Depp. I did. That's, is that, that, who it, gets to say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the highest award in our business is called the, uh, the Audi, A-U-D-I, the Audi Award. And uh, it's the equivalent of the Oscar or the Academy Award. Uh-huh. I'm always shocked whenever I'm nominated. I've been nominated four times. I can't even believe it. But there was a book I did called Slave Across the Street. And it was by E. Christian Audio. They were the publishers on it. And it was nominated for Best Memoir of the Year up against Keith Richards' book. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, it was read by Johnny Depp. Well, I knew where that was oh. going. <laughs> oh. And I lo- I went to that Audie's uh, ceremony. I was so proud. I'm like, I'm totally losing to Johnny Depp tonight. <laughs> and sure enough, I did. And so people go, oh, have you been nominated to an Audie? I go, uh, have you been nominated for an Audie? Yes, I have. I've been nominated for four. And do you know, I, got, I lost to Johnny Depp. <laughs> and then, you know, reading the Keith Richards story, which all, by the way, the book also happened to be the whole book of the year, uh, you know, audio book of the year, Life. <laughs> That's so, probably a better story than actually winning. I think so. I think so. I think I have more fun saying that than I do would say that I beat Johnny Depp in an audio. <laughs> well, no one would believe that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now back to the business thing. You have a business I saw. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I love the name. Um, it seems like it fits you perfectly. Too Little Time <laughs> Incorporated. 
Yes. And you, that's a business that narrates educational material? Uh, yes. The business was created, um, it always seemed like I never had enough time to do whatever I wanted, you know, to do all the things that I wanted, um, coming up with business ideas and entrepreneurial things. And so the business was created before I began audiobooks to encompass a lot of different uh, areas. It's now a production company in which I produce uh, full curriculums, college curriculums, their textbooks, their textbooks into audiobook format. Um, I used to record them. In the beginning, I would record, they said, would you consider taking one of our textbooks, we're trying something new, and taking a textbook and putting it into audio format because they knew I had the capabilities to produce an audiobook from soup to nuts to complete production and have it be ready to be uploaded to a site. So I would record one book a month. Well, it was so successful, and it was one of the best rated elements of this particular university in Southern California, online university, that they wanted to expand to four books a month. And I said, I, I can't do it. In fact, I can't even do one book a month anymore. But I will produce them for you. So I was able to hire all my friends, all my narrator friends. And again, when I say hire, I mean independent contractors. Uh-huh. <laughs> And um, bring on engineers and, you know, who all works out of, all work out of their homes and have them. Um, so I, my company started to produce, uh, we've done, gosh, well over a hundred now uh, for this, now for a couple, several universities. And we take their audio, we take their textbooks, their, um, the college or the university puts them into an audiobook format because, you know, you've got things like tables and uh, figures, you know, in a page. or pa- So they have to convert it so that it will work for audiobook. And then from there on, I produce it from soup to nuts. We hire the narrators. We, um, we get them the scripts. We look up all the – I have an assistant. She looks up all the pronunciations. We, we provide that to the narrator, which they don't even do in my part of the business. And, uh, and then we provide it to the college. They upload it. And students who are only online students, you know, they don't get the advantage of being in a classroom, hearing that professor talk one-on-one. They have their textbooks now um, in an audiobook download. They can put it right on their iPhone. You know, they can work on their studies that way. They still have to refer back to the textbook now and then. But again, in this world in which we're taking humans out of it more and more, I feel very strongly as someone who learns I think it's called kinesthetically. I, I learn by audible, uh, you know, uh, by you talking to me. I you paint the picture for me verbally, and I get it uh, much more so than reading, because I'm such a believer in it. I feel very passionate about this side of my company, and it's very exciting. So it, I, I had never heard of anything like that. I mentioned it to my wife, and she couldn't completely understand how it would work. And I, I I mentioned that it probably wasn't math books. But um, I we have done some, believe it or not, we've done some statistics. Really? Yeah. Um, they still have to refer when it comes test time. And we'll say in the book, you know, please refer to your text version of this audio book for figure 14 C to understand how, you know, to see this graph. That, it's very rare that we do that. They still have to refer back to the text for certain things. But when you think about learning, uh, again, for people who are audible learners, and they don't have a teacher. They have to just sit down with that textbook. Some people, like, you know, there's a lot of people who now love audiobooks because they get the information without 
the um, trouble, whether they're um, dyslexic or any number of things, and they can hear it now. And this is what we're, I think this is the wave of the future for, for, for universities, especially those who are adding more of an online contingency to their enrollment because brick and mortar costs money. And we all mm-hmm. know the changes there. It's it's interesting. You mentioned the the different reasons why people might enjoy audio versions of things. For me personally, I read so fast that there are things that I miss. And I, I'm sure there are, you know, it's a large percentage of people that read a lot are like that. And when you're listening to an audiobook, you hear every word the way the author intended it to to be heard or read. And I, I, I don't know what percentage of words I miss or skip over when I'm reading, but I bet it's 25%. You know, back to your earlier question, which I'm, I still have been thinking about. Remember, I'm a clarity freak, and the question you asked about how you make it come alive. or mm-hmm. um, For me, uh, when I read the book out loud, I retain 100%. 100%. In fact, I find more mistakes the editors have made in the manuscript version that you'll never that most people will never find. For example, there was one book. Uh, the guy had brown hair through the whole thing, and at, near the end, it said his blonde mop. And I happened to have a relationship with the author, and I said, "Do you know it says the hair color changed?" Because oh my gosh, I can't believe you got that. And our ed- our editorial assistant didn't because it, the whole he was a blonde in the beginning, but we changed it. Or a book I just finished last week. It said you know when he got shot. Well, he had been stabbed. <laughs> At the very end, or when it, something was a, that, you know, that yellow scarf she always wore, and then it was a blue scarf. You re, I retain 100% of what I read out loud. But when I read a book, and maybe this is one of the reasons why I don't like to read the last couple of chapters, but when I'm actually reading and prepping the book, um, I'll go, how did that happen? Or how would it not to go back and find it? <laughs> but when I read it out loud, it's all there. It, all the details make perfect sense. And, and that, again, maybe that's because I have a, a reading disability. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but when I narrate it out loud or when I speak, I love reading books out loud. In fact, I just got to do the um, the Tangled, the, the Disney movie Tangled, uh-huh. which was um, – I was just hired by Disney to do their young adult uh, audiobook version of that book. And I think it's going to be released this month. And my little niece is three and she loves that movie. So for me, oh, I wanted to pour my whole heart and soul into that because she's going to hear it, you know, and it'll be different than when she learns to read it. Uh, Anyway, I digress. All right. I have, I've taken a ton of your time. I still have a few more questions and I I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. Um, Advice for authors who are for the first time thinking of doing audiobooks, what would you advise them to think about in terms of hiring a narrator, whether through Amazon ACX or, or through some other method? Uh, what, what should they look for? Well, I, I definitely think they should listen, to, you know, have samples from the narrator. I think they should make sure that the narrator has good sound, you know, that they have a good quality booth. I think that the author should be prepared to hire somebody to do a quality control check if they themselves don't want to do it. Um, I think that they should have, you know, uh, a confidence in the narrator that the narrator can do their genre of book. 
And I also think that if they do hire a great and talented narrator, that they should let go and trust the narrator to um, give them a product that will that they'll be very happy with, as opposed to noodling, you know, every chapter, what the intent was in every chapter, that sort of thing. And I do think that you can find, there's a lot of ways to find narrators. Um, you know, if you've li- listened to audiobooks, first of all, find somebody that you think might be the right voice to, to bring your life off the page and, and into the ear. You can go to ACX, which is full of all levels of narrators, depending on what kind of money you might have to put into the production. You can find beginners and you can find people who've been doing it forever. That's another way. And, you know, you can self-publish your audiobook right on through ACX, or if you have several books on Amazon, I believe that Amazon will allow you to put an audiobook up there directly on Audible as well. I think that there is a real wave of this is what the future is going to look like in a lot of cases for um, authors who, you know, want to retain their, their audio their audio book rights as well as getting it getting their material out there in as many forms as po- possible for reader listenership. So I really think this is going to be the way of, of things going. Now, in the, there are a couple different ways of, of doing ACX, as I understand it. Uh, there's, one, there's one way where you can just do a, a simple revenue share with a narrator, if, if the narrator is willing to do that. And the other way is that you can pay the narrator, just a, a set fee or a per hour fee, and at the end of the process, the book is yours and all of the royalties are yours. If you if you choose to go the second route where you're paying, what's the price range that uh, an author should expect to pay? Well, you know, I, I think that the very beginning level narrators are anywhere. Again, it, there's a lot of factors. There's who's doing the production. Is the narrator recording out of their home or a professional studio? So it's a tough question to answer simply, but I can say that for the most part, it's anywhere from a hundred dollars to for a brand new narrator up to $500 for an established narrator. Who's going to, or more, uh, soup to nuts. This does not include celebrity pricing, but just, you know, established narrators who have been doing this for a long time and have all the resources to give you a final product. And, And so when you say per hour, you're talking finished hour. Right. All audiobook, the whole world of audiobooks is measured in the finished hour. That's everybody says P, uh, PFH, per finished hour. So the pay structure is based on a per finished hour. The, um, you know, studio time, all of that is based on this per finished hour. And most people can estimate it. Most narrators read, for example, the textbooks. Most of my narrators read those books at 133 words per minute. So I can get a really good idea depending on the length of the amount of words in the manuscript. So if they say to me, it's a 125,000 word manuscript, I divide it by 133 words per minute and then divide it by 60 minutes per hour. And I can tell you about how many finished hours that book is going to be. If um, I'm doing a fiction book and it's not nearly the you know, long textbook type words, it's usually about 150 to 155 words per minute. So you can get a good idea of how long your book's going to be and then figure out what kind of money you have for production. Now, I am 
I'm not an expert at all when it comes to, I've done books directly for ACX and directly through authors, though I've always negotiated directly with the author. I haven't gone through ACX, but it ends up on ACX. So there are other ways of getting the book on there without negotiating through the author and the narrator through just the ACX tube, if you will. Okay. And, and when we talk about finished hour, we've, we've talked about all of the ancillary work that, that goes into producing an audio book. So a, a finished hour is actually probably three and a half to five hours of clock time to get all of the engineering and reading, or probably more if you're doing the well, reading and everything as well. No, you don't count any. So the what, no, the, I no, I mean it just in terms of thinking about it as a hundred dollars an hour or five hundred dollars right. an hour. The, the person who's doing the work is doing a lot more than fifteen hours work to generate a fifteen to hour record it. Book. I see what you yes. say. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So if it's a ten hour book and you hire me to narrate a ten a ten hour book, and let's say I'm going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour, which that's not my price. Um, <laughs> I was going to uh, say I'll hire you. <laughs> no, yeah. So so we're talking about a thousand dollars, and that's soup to nuts. Um, if it's extraordinary research, um, I charge you extra just on how many hours of research, and we, we would know about that ahead of time. But but ninety eight point percent of the time, it's it's you know if your book is a ten point five hour book or ten hour book, I charge you for my hourly rate times ten, and um, how long it takes me to record it is my problem. You know, you just need to know how many words you've got, mm-hmm. and you can pretty much estimate it. And when we finish every chapter, we write down the time. Like, was it 100 minutes? Was it, you know, how many minutes? And we add up all those minutes at the very end of the book, and that that's how you get the length of the book. And it's almost always right really close to the money. You, you're never too far off. Okay, one last question. Um, advice for beginning narrators. There are a lot of people who are interested in becoming narrators because of this flood of content that you mentioned earlier. Uh, what should they do? Um, first of all, as I mentioned before, there is a lot of technique in becoming a, a good narrator. Uh, so you, you almost have to have your own home studio. You have to have great sound inside the studio, and you have to have good sound proofing. You have to have a good mic setup along with a voice processor. I do not recommend just plugging a mic into a USB port. It's just not going to be enough. Um, it, it, it doesn't get the whole quality of your voice, and it also doesn't sound as intimate. You also have to be prepared for a lot of work and understanding how the business works. But more than anything else, you need to have the talent to do it. And I don't believe that talent is just an inbred thing. You got to take the a surgeon, someone who wakes up to be, who goes, you know what? He's 18 years old and he wants to go to school for medical school. And he goes, I want to be a surgeon. You know, somebody, you don't say, do you think I have the chops to be a surgeon? Well, maybe, but you got a lot of work to do in order to become a surgeon. And I'm not comparing narration to surgery, but the fact is, is that you got to train. I mean, you've got to know how to separate, how you stop the accent when you said he said, she said. You've got to know how to differentiate your male characters from your female characters and not sound like you're talking like a gruff man. You know, it, it, it has to, how, how does a woman make good man, male characters? How does a male make good female characters? There's a lot of work to be done on the, um, the training side. So I recommend you know, people like Pat Fraley, and Paul Rubin, and there's plenty of places to get some really great narration training. Having said all that, 
it's a lot of work to break in. But if you do and you do it right and you've got a lot of tenacity, I believe without, with 100% you can succeed. There's plenty of work to be had. But you got to be willing to, to um, pay your due diligence in the beginning. Well, Renee, thank you very much. It's been an absolute thrill for me to talk to you. As a, a longtime fan of yours, it's, it's just a real treat for me to, ha- to have you as a guest on the show. And I can't thank you enough for your time today. Oh, thank you, Stephen, so much. I have really enjoyed this, and I just, I just appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.